Matthew chapter 22 verses 34-40 But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now out of that great text, I I want to focus on the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and make the, the turn to the horizontal that we've been talking about in these past couple of weeks. However, as I began to work with this text here, I found myself absolutely overwhelmed with the stunning, stupendous things around that commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. And I said to myself, there's no way I could play the fool here and just jump naked, as it were, into that command without paying attention to what's before and what's after and these huge, stupendous things around that commandment. And so this is at least going to be a two-week text. Get going on it today, kind of get a running start so we can leap into that one without flopping next week. It is so big, and the things surrounding it are so magnificent, we just got to get a flavor of them this morning. And maybe as I get further into it, I'll just say, this is going to be a three-week text. I don't know. The Puritans could do a 12-week or a 20-week thing on this, you know. So, it's at least two at this point. This is a phenomenally big issue here. Let me just point out why and what gripped me in these surrounding stupendous things. In verse 36, the Pharisee comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he adds his own words. This is the great commandment. This is the great and foremost commandment. So all the, all the man asked for, what's the great commandment? And he says, this is the great and first or and foremost commandment. So the first thing that hit me was that we're in the presence here of an authority, not like me or you. I mean, it would be very daring, and I don't think I could ever do it on my own authority, by myself, go to the whole terrain of the Word of God, everything that God's ever said, and pick out one thing and say, that's the greatest thing He ever said. That's the first, that's the most important thing he ever said. I would be very to do that. But here we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose Spirit inspired the whole law and the prophets, who knows what God says because he is God and has been with God for all time. And he says now, he says, 
You take all of God's word, everything that God's ever said, everything that he's ever thought, and the most important thing, the greatest thing is this. This is it. Love God with everything you are. Love God. Love God. And when I read that, my breath was taken away. I just thought, I'm in the presence of the greatest person telling me the greatest thing. I can't just jump over that. That's there. And now I'm looking at This is a phenomenal thing here. This is staggering what he says. You have the greatest person, whoever was or ever will be, surveying the greatest book, God's book, that ever was or ever will be, and telling us with the greatest authority that anybody could ever have what the greatest sentence and the greatest point is in all that greatness. And it is, you shall love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So let's just hear that. We're going to come back to it. We're going to ask some questions about it. But hear the greatness about it. Don't let the familiarity. When we, when we prayed down in the room this morning, Greg laid hold on the Lord. He said, Lord, it's so familiar. It's so familiar. Get them. Get the people's hearts with this text. The other stupendous thing is verse 40. On these two commandments hang or depend, depending on what version you've got, hang, depend, the whole law and the prophets. So he's saying now, in addition, (laughs) he's pushing it even farther. He's just told us the greatest commandment and the second one, which is like it. And now he says, and you take these two and you put them up like nails in the wall of the universe. Everything hangs on them. Everything I've ever taught in the law, everything I've ever revealed and promised and warned and spelled out about history and the prophets, they hang, they hang on this. If these nails give, everything goes. The law falls, the prophets fall, everything falls. If those two fall. And I just thought, this is big. This is big. Right? I mean, if you talk about the whole law of God and the whole word of the prophet, we live in those days of prophecy. Everything hangs on them. So I feel like, I mean, I started on this and I thought I knew what I was going to preach on. I, I had my sermon ready in my head about love your neighbor as yourself. I wrote an article on it one time. And I just got was kind of really in a, a vortex of, whoa, I can't just run to that thing. We've got to, we've got to feel the surroundings here. The, the commandment itself, love your neighbor as yourself, is... Staggering enough. I, I thought I would just pass over, but let me give you a sentence or two about it. See, this is a foretaste of next week. This is what I wrestle with. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I, I've got ideas of what I think it means from past study, but if the same thing happens this week that happened last week, I'm not sure. But here's what 
here's the picture I got of the meaning of love your neighbor as you love yourself. Just to show you how staggering, how earth-shaking, how overturning and upsetting and inside-out making this thing is. It's a command to John Piper to tear his skin off of his body. And then, when I get near to somebody who has any need, put my skin around them and look at me. I look at me now, wearing my skin. They're wearing my skin. And out of this naked, oozing thing that's left here are exploding desires. I want to be happy. I want to be a good father. I want to have kids who go straight. I want to be healthy. I want to be a successful pastor. I want to have a loving church. I want enough money to pay my bills. I want, I want, I want. I'm one just volcano of want. And Jesus says, now you look at yourself out there and realize that all those wants are their wants and fulfill them for them with the same passion that you fulfill them and pursue them for yourself. And you talk about a severing of the root of selfishness in your life. Everybody in this room is one great boiling cauldron of desires. You try to deny that, you will be so inauthentic, it will be unbelievable. Everybody in this room is sitting there just oozing desires. If you were honest, you could just spell them out for me. Most of them are quite good. They're not evil at all. It's just desires. And what this text says is, make those desires the measure of your passion for that in them, those others. It's, it's just mind-boggling. Where is that going to come from? In this self-exalting, self-enhancing, self-advancing, self-esteeming John Hyper. Where is that going to come from? Not, not out of me. I mean, Jesus, when Jesus opens his mouth, you just fall down. You fall down when Jesus opens his mouth. You just... Mm, are we in touch with God here or what? Verse 40 is where I want to begin in walking with you through the stupendous surroundings of that commandment. We're just going to walk around it today. We're not going to go into it. We're just going to walk around it. And we're going to start at the end with verse 40. On these two commandments, namely, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang, depend, the whole law and the prophet. Jesus didn't have to say that. That isn't the question that the lawyer asked him. The lawyer said, what's the great commandment? And Jesus said, the great commandment is love God. And then he booked the ante up two more times. He said, uh, and there's a second. Love your neighbors yourself. And it's like the first. And, second time, pushing it, pushing it. These two, everything hangs on these. The whole law hangs on these. 
The prophets hang on these. Be stunned, lawyer. Be stunned, Pharisee, at what I'm saying here. Don't take this answer and say, oh, good answer, and just go on your way. Be amazed. Stop and wonder about what I'm saying here. Now, as I pondered this and asked myself, why? What, what is Jesus doing? What's he saying with this, this word hang? And, and saying it's hanging on two commandments. Here's what I want to do with you. Here's what the Lord seemed to do with me as I wrestled with this yesterday. I want to compare this verse, verse 40, with something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn there with me if you want to. I hope you will. Matthew 7, verse 12. And then we're going to turn to Romans 13, verse 8. These are two places in the New Testament where something very similar is said, and yet I want to point out something very different. Because it's the difference that made all kinds of lights go on for me. So let's go to Matthew 7, verse 12, otherwise known as the Golden Rule. And I think the Golden Rule is a... Commentary on the second commandment. The second commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, let's read it. Matthew 7, 12 is, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law. This is the law. And the prophets. Hmm. Hear that? Verse 40 of chapter 22 said, On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Verse 12 of chapter 7 says, If you fulfill the golden rule, this is the law and the prophets. Doesn't mention the first commandment. You just got the second commandment here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. When that happens, you can point at it and say, Law and prophets. There they are. That's it. So my, I was troubled. Where's the first commandment? I thought the first commandment was there too. Let let me warn you about something here. There are a lot of people in the history of the church, and I was with one of them two weeks ago, who take biblical sentences like the Golden Rule out of the Bible and extol Jesus as a noble teacher of good ethics. He's an ethical teacher. And we can all rally around Jesus as an ethical teacher. And we can leave to pre-enlightenment, pre-scientific, pre-modern mysticism, God talk. You don't need God. And they'll use a sentence like this and say, Aha! Not only did Jesus say, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and not only did he say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he said, the whole law, the whole prophet is right there. So you don't need God. Jesus said so. 
So I, 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 hold, I hold this up as a warning because that problem is not a past problem. The enterprise of, of a post-scientific modern life is to exploit religious literature for good things minus God. That's the enterprise of modernity. Exploit Christianity, Judaism, Muslim. In every one of those spheres, the whole modern enterprise is find what is useful to make society work, scrap the mythological uh, shell. God talk. Now, the problem with that is that, of course, it ignores a lot of other things Jesus said, like uh, the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God, your God with all your heart. That's the first and great commandment. It ignores a lot of things he said about himself as a redeemer. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, because men are estranged from God, and unless there's a mediator who lays down his life, there'll be no redemption. It ignores that. But most importantly, it ignores the immediate context. Now look at this with me. In uh, Matthew seven twelve, the verse begins with the word, therefore. Now if you're looking at an NIV, you won't see it. Because the NIV is in the habit of dropping conjunctions to my utter dismay. But it's there. In the NASV and in the King James Version and in the RSV and, and uh, in the Greek that was written. And it is absolutely crucial because what it says is that the horizontal command to do unto others as you would have them do unto you is based upon what goes before and what went before is a fatherly relationship with God in which we in our bankruptcy say, God, help me. I'm a little child. How am I ever to fulfill this love commandment in my own sinful, weak self? And he says, you just seek me and you'll find you ask me and I'll answer. You open the door and I'll come in. You don't give snakes and scorpions uh, to, to your sons. You give them bread. I'm like that. That's the foundation of the golden rule. So people who would tend to take verse 12 out of, out of its setting and not realize that Jesus taught the golden rule as the overflow and the enablement of a sweet, resting, loving relationship between us and our Father in heaven will totally misunderstand Jesus Christ. They will not get it. And it will be so sad. Don't do that. Let's not. Let's help people beyond that. Let's just. You know, one of the most helpful things to do when that happens is to say, you know, if you like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why don't you treat Matthew, who put this together, and Jesus, who spoke it originally, the way you'd like to be treated? Because if you made a speech. And I took one sentence out of your speech, made it a soundbite to contradict everything else you said. You'd get upset with me. Well, 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 just do unto others, namely Jesus, what you would be, have him do unto you. And I think people might wake up when you, when you say, let's not take things out of context. So my point so far is the absence of God in verse 12 
is not the essence of God. Verse 12 depends upon the presence of God in verses 9 to 11. But that is not the solution to our problem. The problem still stands. Namely, he just said, love your neighbor or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he said, this is the law and the prophets. This, this is the law and the prophets. This is it. So, what does that mean? Here's what I think it means. If we love like that, if this church loved like that, wrapped our skin around others and made our passion for happiness their passion for happiness and pursued theirs like we pursue ours. If that happened, you could look at it and say, that's the law. That is the visible manifestation. That is the practical, visible expression and demonstration of all that stuff in the law. It is the law filling itself full into life. Fulfilling the law. The law being worked out in visible form is doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when he says, this is the law and the prophets, I think he means the law and the prophets become visible this way. You see, love for God is invisible. He's not here. Love for God is invisible. It's a passion in the heart. It's a cherishing and a treasuring and a depending upon God. And you can't see it. It becomes visible when it works itself out. And if you ask, what does it look like? It is not mainly going to church. It is mainly bending love out to others. And so he says, that love that you can see fills up makes manifest, openly demonstrates everything in the law, including the first commandment. This is different from what he said in chapter 22. We'll get back there in a minute. So, the second commandment is the visual making, the demonstration, the fleshing out of the whole law and the prophets, including the first commandment. The first commandment is love the Lord your God. And if you ask, where is it? You say, it's fulfilled right over there. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that love going on there. Now, if we're on the right track, we should find this echoed in Paul. So if you want to turn with me to Romans 13, let's check Paul out here and see how he talks about the fulfilling of the law in relationship to the commandment to love. Romans 13, we'll start at verse 8 says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Wow. Wow. Maybe we should have a mortgage in this house. What do you think? Hmm. At least we know this. You should always be owing love to people. Always owe love. Always have a love debt. Not that you haven't given any. But that you never can give enough. Have a love debt in your life. Always. And he says, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There it is. He who loves his neighbor, same as Matthew seven twelve. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, I wonder if the first commandment's in his mind there. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So twice, verse 8 and verse 10, he says, loving your neighbor as you love yourself is a filling out of the law. So let me try to summarize Matthew 7, 12, and Romans 13, 8, and 10. You have the law and you have the prophets unfolding the purposes of God and filled with commandments and warnings and promises of God. And Jesus says, and Paul says, that when a a community of people, like a Bethlehem Baptist church, start to love each other this radical way, with sacrificial, other-oriented love, what you see, visibly fleshed out, manifestly demonstrated, is the law and the prophets. Everything that that book was about... Everything that that book was tending toward is now being visibly manifested here. And that's what I think fulfill means. Filled out. It's filled out in history. It's filled out in life. It's filled out in flesh. It's filled out in relationships. Now, somebody might do the same thing for Paul, I suppose, that they did for Jesus, and say, ha, 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 see, Paul didn't mention God either. He said, if you, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, it's doing no wrong to the neighbor, and it is therefore a fulfillment of the law, no mention of God, and therefore you can exploit the Bible for what is really valuable in America today, and what we really need is a culture, minus all this mythological God talk. Now, let me point you to a text that just, we all know that that's not what Romans is about. But there is one chapter and a verse in Romans where it really becomes crystal clear that Paul is thinking about God here. Turn with me to chapter 8 of Romans, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, what the law could not do, what the law could not do, The law doesn't produce this love. It just tells you to do it. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Here it comes. In order that the requirement of the law. Now, we just saw that that the law is fulfilled in love in chapter 13. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled, we saw that word too over in chapter 13, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. That is, self-reliance minus God. The flesh is self-reliance minus God. So, Jesus came to die. He came from his father in heaven to die that we might be forgiven and that we might receive the Holy Spirit so that when we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, we fulfill the just requirement of the law, namely love. 
So the spirit is the key. That was the last that was last week's message. The spirit is the key and the spirit is supplied to us and works miracles among us, not by the works of the law, but by hearing with faith. So faith in God is the key for creating the channel through which the spirit flows and creates the love. And anyone who says that Paul was simply saying uh, America needs just a few ethical comments about loving each other is ignoring the very fabric of his letter and his writings. And you all know that. We don't need to belabor that. Now I want to show you a difference and close with this, because this was probably the most exciting thing for me to discover as I was wrestling with why in chapter 22 you have the first commandment and the second commandment and the statement that the law and the prophets hang on these, whereas in chapter 7, verse 12, you have only the second commandment. This is the law and the prophets. And in Romans 13, 8 and 10, you have only the second commandment. And this is the fulfillment of the law. But why? Why? What is there about chapter 22 that is different? And it is very, very different. And the difference is this. It all is in the word hang or depend. On these two commandments, we're back to chapter 22, verse 40. On these two commandments, depend or hang the whole law and the prophets. Now, thinking caps for three more minutes. This is the reverse of those other texts. It's the reverse. Because in those other texts, you've got the law and the prophets here. And flowing out from them is the fleshing out, the demonstration, the visualization of love in people's relationships. And you can point to it and say, that's the fulfillment of that. But in verse 40 of chapter 22, you've got the law and the prophets here and back here, before them, they're hanging on something. See the difference? They're hanging. The, this law and prophets are hanging on two hooks. So the, the, the point of the text are very different. And everything is in that word hang. Let me close by trying to put it into a picture. This helped me. I just sat there thinking, how can I? This, this feels complex as I try to describe it like this. So maybe I can put it in a picture that will decomplexify. Let's add to complexity with big, complicated, non-existent words. Um, picture a scroll. I got this idea because I was over Temple Israel not long ago where they read from huge, beautiful scrolls. They're about this long, that big around, and they prop them up right behind the, the uh, platform there, and they're magnificent. So picture one of those right now. It's going to get bigger in a minute, but there it is out there. And as the scroll of the Word of God, the Law and the Prophets, unrolls, like history unrolling, and God tells the narrative of history from creation to redemption, and all of His commands are there, and His warnings are there, and His promises are there, and as it unrolls, the way it fulfills itself in the world is by producing love your neighbor as you love yourself. When that happens in a church, in a heart, and in a people, in relationships, that is a fulfilling, an unrolling of that great scroll. So we see how it fulfills itself, what God's purpose in that scroll is. And then Jesus comes to us as we're watching this scroll, and he snatches us up out of time and out of history. And we're looking down now, and the scroll is like, it's like the earth. And it's hanging there in space. 
It's the story of history. It's the story of the earth. It's the story of the coming age. It's all of God's talk and all of God's plan. And we're outside of the world now. And we're in space. And Jesus is holding us there and saying, look at this. And we see this scroll about as big as the earth now. Oh, what's that? 8,000 miles across. And, uh, and it's got two massive gold chains. One attached to one side and one attached to the other side. And the chains go up through the universe and disappear into heaven. Parallel. Just run up. And we're standing there. Wow. Look at this scroll hanging on these two chains. Where do they go? What are they? And Jesus says, I'll show you. And he takes us up into heaven. So that's where we are now. And when we get into heaven, we're on our faces. And we notice that the chains come up. And one attaches to the right hand arm of the throne of God. On which is inscribed, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind. And the other one attaches to the left hand arm of God. Which has inscribed on it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And seated upon the throne with his mighty, infinite, sovereign arms resting on these two commandments is the Lord God. And you turn to Jesus and you say, wow, what does that mean? And he says, it means that before there was ever a scroll... Before there was ever a history of redemption, before there were ever any, un, any unfolding of God's commandments and God's promises, before there was any earth, before there was any universe, God has hands on these two great purposes. Everything hangs on God's will to be loved and his will for his people to love each other. It is the very armature of his throne. It was his purpose before there were any chains, before there was any scroll, before there was any history, before there was any Bible, before there was any redemptive plan at all. There was the purpose of God. And when I saw that, that this hanging, I was just blown away and saying, Lord, I I want to say this before next week I get into the practical working out of love your neighbor as yourself. We need to feel as we close this morning. That this building exists, you exist as a person, the city exists, the country exists, the nations exist, the oceans exist, the planet exists, the solar system exists, the galaxy exists, the universe exists, so that these two arms would be expressed. That's what the text says. On these two commandments hang everything. The law and the prophets. The law is the whole mind of God. The prophets are the whole outworking of history spoken ahead of time. Everything hangs on God's purpose to be loved and God's purpose that we love each other. And so what I hope you take away this morning is just a trembling, awesome sense that we are in the presence, in this text, we're in the presence of the most ultimate revelation there is. The most ultimate purposes of God. The most ultimate foundation of all reality. That before there was anything you presently know or that fills your mind or your heart or takes you from morning to night, before any of that was there, was this mighty design. Design of God. And it was this design, ah, that I might be loved. That I might be loved. 
enjoyed, cherished, treasured, admired, that I might be the satisfaction of some beings, souls, and hearts, and minds. Ah, I shall create a world for that. I create a universe for that. And how shall it look? What will it look like when they, when they relate to each other? Or shall I have them relate to each other? I will have them relate to each other. And they will love each other. They will bend all of their satisfaction in me and all of the glory that they find in me and all the resting and treasuring and cherishing that they find in me. They can bend it out to each other. It's going to become visible in the whole universe one day. will be filled with the reverberations of love. It's impossible. We are in the presence of utter magnificence here. Let's get caught up into it. Let's ask the Lord to do it among us. Lord, it is an awesome thing that the law and the prophets hang on love me and love one another. God, show us this. Open our eyes. All day, all this afternoon, whatever we do, whether we go to a Twins game or whether we take a walk in the beautiful sunshine or whether we play a game with a family or have a small group meeting tonight or talk to an unbelieving family member about the Lord, all day may it be reverberating. This world is built on love. This world is aiming at love. This world is flowing from a throne of grace and love. Oh, God, may it become central in our hearts and our lives and our church. And all the people said, Amen.